the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 232. I am your host, Sustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is for all the people in Las Vegas. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of September 17th through September 30th. We have two books to cover, and we're going to jump straight into the comic news. So the very first thing we have is back on September 18th, the solicitations were revealed for the month of December. I will say that there's not a ton of new things that we haven't already discussed at other points. Specifically, the last episode we talked about creative changes coming to Nightwing and Justice League. There was an announcement from Sean Murphy. This was not through the solicitations, but he has actually said through Twitter that the success of Batman White Knight is going to move the series from seven issues up to eight issues. The only big things that are happening, we also already talked about the Super Sons crossover that's happening in the pages of Super Sons. Teen Titans and Superman over the course of the last couple of weeks of December and the first week of January. But outside of that, there isn't a whole lot of other big things that are happening. The only thing that was new that we didn't have any announcement prior to the solicitations being released was that there was going to be a DC holiday issue that's going to be released in December. The solicitation states that it's going to have stories by Greg Rucka, Tom King, Denny O'Neill, Jeff Lemire, Max Landis, Christopher Priest, Shea Fontana, Joshua Williamson, and others. Art by Steve Epstein, Raphael Albuquerque, Bill Quis, Evley, Otto Schmidt, Neil Gouge, 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 maybe. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong one way or the other. Francis Manpool and others. Denny O'Neill is going to be writing a Batman story in the book. It will also feature Sergeant Rock fighting Nazis on Hanukkah, Teen Titans battling a ghost of Christmas past, and Swamp Thing battling creepy feeling of existential dread. This is going to be a 96-page special, and it's going to cost you $10 Whoa. if you're interested in purchasing it. 10 bucks? That's heavy, man. Yeah, 10 bucks. That's a lot of money considering most of the other books, most of the other books, that is, that are even $5 or 40 pages. So, I mean, you do get more page count per dollar compared to the other average books, but at the same point, yes, $10 is pretty expensive. It is going to be probably a thicker binding because it is 96 pages. The biggest page count that we have had recently is like some of the 80-page giants, which they're not called that anymore, but some 80-page specials that we've seen, even those did not have you know the thick binding. So I'm wondering if maybe you'll actually have a thicker binding due to the 96 pages. We'll have to wait and see on that. I wonder if this is going to be one of those new, you know, the prestige formats. They were talking about bringing back more of the prestige format. Yeah, that's what that's what that's where I was getting at. That's what I meant by thick binding. I guess I don't always associate the thick binding with prestige format, but it pretty much is. I, I mean, at any rate, they should do it if they're, you know, especially at that page count with that price point. It seems like that would make the most sense. All right, so. Outside of solicitations, some of the other news that we have, there was on September 20th, TCM, Turner Classic Movies, the TV channel that is, said that they had Batman teaming up with the host of 
Turner Classic Movies. I know this is going to sound ridiculous because it kind of is. But basically, the idea is that Batman is entering the dark world of film noir. Mm. There's one shot that was released. I believe it was digitally. I think it was also part of some comic shops here and there might have had it for Batman Day. But basically, it was one shot called Batman in Noir Alley, and it teams Batman with the host of TCM's Noir Alley, Eddie Mueller, who was thrilled for the fact that he ended up in a Batman comic. But the story was written by Stuart Moore with art by Dan Panosayan, and the book brings pulpy stories of the 40s and 50s to where detectives are more of a focus. So this was a special that they did as a promotion for their Noir Alley block of programming that airs on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern. So, yeah, just another crazy one-shot. I mean, we've seen Batman team with Shadow, Ninja Turtles, the Scooby-Doo gang, but this is the first time he's ever teamed with a cable TV host. Yeah, I don't think, unless unless there was ever like a Batman-Bob Barker episode back in the 70s, this may be a first. Yeah. All right, and then the last real bit of news that we have is on September 28th, there was a number of variants that were revealed that are going to be part of a specific focus on Justice League's theatrical release coming this November. Books that at least we review here, Batman number 34, Justice League number 32, Detective Comics number 968, and Trinity number 15 are among a total of 10 different titles that will have special Justice League-themed variants throughout the month of November in honor of Justice League making its way to theaters. So you can check out a gallery of all of those one-shots if you're interested in them. And then the other bit of stuff that we've got, there's a couple of DC All-Access videos that uh, released over the past two weeks. There's one with Paul Dini talking about Harley Quinn for her 25th anniversary. There's a Doomsday Clock trailer that was released with Jeff Johns talking about his intent for the actual Doomsday Clock series. There's another DCL Access that talks about the Murder Machine. Uh, one shot that just released, as you're listening to this, it released about a week and a half ago. But that one, so you can check out all of those. And then, of course, there's also two new segments of Last Week in the Batcave. If you are interested in looking at those, as always, they post on Monday mornings, Central Time, that is. So if you are interested in checking out some of the latest art revealed through social media by creators and then comments made by some of the writers that are behind the series, as well as a variety of other things, be sure to check it out. The last two weeks presented us with new art for Doomsday Clock. Batman White Knight, The Dark Multiverse Batman, as well as many other series, so be sure to check those out every week. Also, I just want to point out, I think I mentioned this before, but we have a new segment as part of the last week in the Batcave, which features what we're calling Gothamites, which are a variety of artists and creators in various different mediums creating different things that are Batman and Batman Universe related. So the last two weeks we actually featured a storyboard artist by trade who works for Nickelodeon, but they actually make these things called Ordinary Batman Adventures, which there are a series of gifts that they made with Batman doing a variety of things such as jumping in pile of leaves and running, you know, pushing himself around an office chair. And another one that we featured recently was a Swedish artist who is actually a concept artist who does some art that features Batman and Batman universe characters in a noir setting. So you can take a look at those. And then every week as part of last week in the Batcave, we actually feature a new Gothamite every week. So be sure to check that out and see different unique art from around the world. There should be two things. One, if you haven't read Jessica's this week, that Alex Ross piece with the 60s heroes is like 
really super cool. And it's a public service announcement for those of us we have been po- posting the Watchmen stuff up. The DC Jeff Johns panel will be live streamed on Facebook. Yes. Should be the same day that this comic cast is released. So if you're out there, don't forget public service announcement. Yeah, so it, even if you don't aren't able to watch it live as it's happening, after the fact, they'll have the live stream video available. I'm sure they'll put their YouTube channel, too. Yeah, I'm sure it'll end up on YouTube, probably. They did something very similar for Comic-Con, where they were doing live streams and things like that on Facebook. Some of the videos, I don't think, made it to YouTube, but at least on DC's Facebook page, depending on what they actually talk about, I'm sure we'll have some sort of recap over on the site regarding some of the highlights. I do know that he specifically said that he was going to show off some new art from the series, give a little bit more hint at what to expect from the series and things like that. So definitely pay attention to that if you're interested in what's going to be happening in Doomsday Clock. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the first one we have is Batman. Batman number 31, The War of Jokes and Riddles, Part 5. Script, Tom King. Pencils and cover, Mikhail Janine. Inks, Mikhail Janine. And colors, June Chung. This seems to be the penultimate story, or issue, I should say. And it starts off with Joker and a man, and I guess Joker is having, you know, separation anxiety because he doesn't want the man to forget about him. And the man swears that he won't, but then Joker does a knock-knock joke, and of course, as everyone knows, you always say who's there, and Joker's upset because he said you wouldn't forget about me. So that man, (laughs) unfortunately, his arm gets cut off (laughs) because Joker wants to do another joke about the time flying, he threw a clock out the window, whatever. So, while all this is going on and in fact I should mention that Joker is up where this all began where he shot Riddler and all that stuff happened very high up at the bottom on street level we've got Batman and Riddler and they're assessing the situation because they know of course going up bad stuff is going to ensue there are probably traps and tricks and all sorts of things Riddler's a little annoying though Batman seems to have a lot of patience because he doesn't really add to the conversation he's only adding riddles but Batman lets us know that actually he has asked Catwoman, or I don't know, hired her, who knows, but Catwoman currently is ascending the building, and she gets to where she needs to go, the 75th floor, I believe, and she looks in, she's in communication with Batman, and Joker shoots at her, and I assume she's okay, because she's still speaking with him, but we find out that the glass can be penetrated, because he shot through the glass, but nothing happened. We flash forward to the present time, and Bruce apologizes to Selena, and Selena makes a sexually charged joke by saying, never apologize for a position you put me in, which I assume it's a double entendre. It could just be me, though. So, they basically decide that they are going to go in through the windows and Batman is thinking that's going to be Batman and Riddler which seems obvious. Riddler knows that Batman has plans upon plans and he says that actually no. Batman you're going and I'm going and my army is going and if you don't accept this I'm going to burn the city. So what else can Batman do? He comes up with an idea that involves Kite Man. Batman's a little annoyed by this thought. I don't know how or why, but Kite Man apparently just has a bunch of kites on hand. And so Riddler's entire team is then outfitted with these specialized kites, and we'll get back there. They all burst through the window, and 
there's going to be a big showdown and Joker's taken out pretty easily and then it's basically a trap because Batman is now surrounded by Riddler's army but Batman had talked previously to Kite Man see the plans within the plans so Riddler was correct and these kites actually have specially activated parachutes that will just pull them out through the window and they will keep ascending and Alfred's somewhere up in the sky circling and he's going to catch them when they pass out because of asphyxiation of course so now it is Batman Kite Man, I I guess, is still there, and Joker and Riddler. And this is basically the climax of it all happening. Joker is going on and on about this thing where he his wife asked him what he did and he said nothing and she said that's what you did yesterday and he said i wasn't finished whatever so we've got these three heavies and in the background i guess overhead the narration is that no one knows no one knows except for the three of us what went down there and so selena i need to reveal to you what happened before you make an informed decision on whether you want to say yes whether you want to marry me so to be continued i assume it's a to be concluded though perhaps next issue might be a kite man issue nope nope the next issue is the conclusion yeah we don't we don't need any more kite man oh well uh, he did a pretty good job here i'd say my first question actually is about Catwoman, and I guess I wasn't expecting her, which, you know, could be positive or negative. I wasn't expecting her to be the inside man, though she was neither inside nor a man. But why include Catwoman in this particular story when he's talking to her? I assumed that he was telling her this whole story because she had no part to play at all in this. Now I feel like, gee, we've been going on for five parts, and she's known this all along. Like, this is all when you're sitting with a friend, and they're telling you a story, and then you're like, well, you've told me this before, and hopefully they stop. But unfortunately, Batman keeps going. What do you think about Catwoman actually being involved, and presumably knowing everything that's gone on up to this point, and it's really the next issue that new things will be revealed to her? Well, I think that there's a distinct problem with her being involved in the story, which means, you know, if she has been in the know for all this time, what was the point of Bruce explaining this story? Like, maybe she didn't know the stuff about Kite Man and things like that, but there's some big glaring issues with the fact that this story has been happening since basically the beginning of June, and here we are, you know, four months later, and we are just getting to the point where... We're realizing, holy moly, Catwoman has basically known everything that Bruce has been telling us. This has all been exposition to us as the reader, not to Catwoman, who he's supposed to be talking to. That's a problem. At the same time, I think that this wouldn't have worked if they obviously just skipped to the part that Catwoman didn't know. But probably the best way to make it so that it makes more sense and... The story doesn't just feel like a giant exposition piece to the reader is by not having Catwoman involved. There's no real reason to need to have her involved either. It just kind of comes across as this was a way to bring her into the story so that we didn't just completely forget about her since we have brought in every other member of Batman's rogues gallery in the story. Yeah, I I would kind of just assume this is to, you know, reinforce the look how long of a history these two have together type deal. It's not necessary for her inclusion, and it does make Bruce seem a bit of a, you know, uh, let me tell you the story you already know. I guess there's lots of it she wouldn't know, like 
him and Alfred's private conversations at Wayne Manor and things. Like, I mean, so I guess he's filling in the gaps for Selena in some way. But I just think it was to kind of reframe the wedding question, which is what this whole story supposedly centers around is Bruce asking Selena to marry him. What, what I guess I'm kind of wondering here is, you know, is this just to reframe and remind us, hey, look how long these two have known each other type deal. I mean, if so, I guess so. But uh, the whole her there for the story he's telling him is kind of uh, kind of silly. I would say that I like the history between them, but I think we've already built that up in the fact that we've mentioned a couple times the first meeting that... Batman and Selina have had and that little cute discussion between, you know, what was she stealing or or whatever was happening. But I don't know. I guess I assumed that she had no part to play in this at all. And while it's nice to see that, yes, of course, everyone was involved. I just don't I don't like the fact that yet clearly now she knows basically 90% of the story and why did you need to tell it on the other hand I I do at least you know to argue on the other side she has her own perspective of what was going on who I assume she wasn't on any person's team so she's just watching from the outside so she does get to see Bruce's perspective from or you know the situation that was going on but I I just didn't care for it frankly I wish it would have been somebody else Honestly, I didn't really have another question. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are. I, I guess here's a thought is is Joker. And I, I guess it's apropos because I started this storyline with Joker and perhaps we're ending with it. But he just seems to be devolving more and more. And do you see any rhyme or reason for any of the things that he's doing or saying? Is there anything? Can he? (laughs) I don't know. Will he ever get his jokes back, I guess, his laughter back? Well, I'm sure he does get his laughter back, but it's a matter of the question of how does he get his laughter back and his jokes. I don't think they've explained it extremely well to say this is why he is the way he is. I think, if anything, they've explained why Riddler and Joker are facing each other, but it feels very out of character for Joker to be portrayed the way he is, or has been, I should say. But I feel... As if eventually we'll probably understand how he gets his jokes back. But I don't know that we're actually going to learn how he got to be this exact way in the first place. I mean, like, there's been talk of, you know, the reason why he's become this lifeless character that he is. But it just doesn't seem as explained as well as it should have been. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, they talk to us about it and... They give us, like, a, this is what's going on, but it, it doesn't ever really seem like they've really dived into it. I mean, you could always look at the fact that maybe he has no real rationale because he's just a raving nut job. Eh, you know, that old that old chestnut, that old argument would probably work. Will he get it back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we know he, only he will because this happens, and this is always the problem with the stories set this far in the past, is that the amount of stakes sometimes can't be that high. We know that where the characters of Riddler and the Joker will be, you know, look at Death and the Family, Endgame. I mean, these are all stories in the future. And if you look at the timeline of this, the majority of Joker stories that are still in continuity would be after this. So, yeah, I mean, that. but again, the stakes are like that because of, of the time frame, which is why I've never been a huge fan of some of these throwback stories. I know he'll get it back, but 
it just doesn't. I mean, it doesn't seem to be a legitimate mystery to me because it happens in the past. But as far as Dustin's point too, I don't think it was extremely well explained here either. Oh man, yeah, this is just. Uh, I, I don't really care for the Joker to begin with, but th- he's just really weird. It's weird. If I were to see this in any other context, you know, without knowing that he's going through some stuff, I'd say this is terrible. What's going on here? But. Pfft, you know, cutting the man's arm off while his little joke is playing and saying, well, so do you see time fly is like one thing. But then the other, which, you know, he trapped that guy, which was like somewhat amusing that I'll never forget you. And then the who's there, that was a trap. But the the last thing that he's ending on with like the, the conversation between the wife and the husband, I'm just like, what? What is happening? And I don't even know if there's going to be some sort of interstitial story between the end of this and the next time we see Joker. Well, wait a minute. I guess we have interstitial stories because this is in the past. But has it been told? I So I, I will say again, I don't know if we're going to have an interstitial story that's going to bridge the past in this War of Jokes and Riddles. And I guess where we saw him in New 52 or Rebirth. I don't even know what era. But... You know, how does he get his jokes back? And we're just going to see the next time we see him all all joking and stuff. So it's just really bizarre. Those are all the questions I have. Okay, well, I have to ask one last question before we move on, just because the conclusion of this arc is supposed to be the next issue, which is supposed to give us the answer of, will Selena say yes or no? So I just want to reiterate what we have said multiple times in the past of what we believe is going to happen as well as what we would want to happen. It doesn't have to be the same answer. I will start and say, I want her to say yes. Do I believe that they would go that route? No. Everything that the solicitations have come out after this have pointed to the direction of she's going to say no because he seems to be going on this like wild goose chase across the world. I know the next story arc that's supposed to pick up in mid-October has him fighting on the opposite side of the world leads me to believe that he is going to be turned down and he is going to be told no and then he's kind of like i wouldn't say grieving but he's disappointed by that and decides he needs to get out of gotham for a little while i want her to say yes because i think it would present a lot of really unique story takes that we have yet to see in comics there was an editorial that was written by josh about eight different times that batman has been engaged in the past it's worthwhile checking out if you never realized that batman has ever been engaged before but Despite the fact that he's been engaged, he's never actually been married, and I really want to see this actually play through and actually have some sort of different variation of Bruce Wayne going forward. So I want to see it happen, but honestly, I I don't think they're going to go through with it. I would like to see them married, but only if they follow through on all titles, all brand. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, don't make it like a Batman-only story. I mean, Batman the comic book about Batman the character. Where it's like, oh, well, in Batman, he's going to be married for three months and then something terrible is going to happen. I think she'll, this is my personal opinion, I think she'll say yes, but I don't think they'll ever actually get married, if that makes any sense. It It makes perfect sense, honestly. I've had discussions about that exact same thing where if she said yes, what horrible thing could actually happen where... They don't actually end up getting married, and I really hope it doesn't end up in a death. We, we, we've talked about that, too, but yeah. But I, that's how I see it playing out, honestly. I, I see her saying yes, and then the road between engagement and actual nuptials becomes just terrible. And I could just see this, like, 
kind of contrived moment of, well, I guess we can never really be happy because DC doesn't want us to be happy. Well, they wouldn't say DC doesn't want to be happy. But I could see that happening, which I hope is, I'm wrong. I hope she says yes, they get married, and we have a multi-year world, because we all know things will change eventually in comics, because it's comics. But a multi-year world where he's actually marrying him and Bruce, Bruce and Selena have some type of relationship. That would be my ideal one. But I think she'll say yes, and then we'll have, you know, hilarity ensues as they never get married. Oh, hilarity, you say. Well, I would like to solicit the fact that Dick proposed to Babs and then went off on his little discover oneself traveling after... Infinite Crisis? Meetings? Yes. Yes, and yes, yeah! that's true. Touche, touche. So that could happen. So I think she's going to say yes. So I'm going to say that. And there's my argument against Dustin. And I, I hope she does because that's my well, that's one of my OTPs. And I think that they belong together. All right. So if you have comments, well, I mean, by the time you're listening to this episode, the issue will have released and we'll all know exactly what's going on and whether or not she says yes. But immediate thoughts of her yes or no after the issue comes out, be sure to leave those comments in the episode post, and that way we can discuss it at length in the next episode as well. So I'm going to give Batman a total of three out of five. Two and a half out of five? I'll say a three out of five. All right, and over on the website, Matthew gave it two and a half, so it's going to give Batman a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next and last book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 965, written by James Titan IV, art by Eddie Barrows. The issue starts off, years ago, Dick Grayson is shocked when a young Tim Drake approaches him after the death of Jason Todd, showing him pictures of Batman and Robin and telling him he knows their secret identities. Now trapped in an energy field by Mr. Oz, Tim, as Red Robin, explains that he's always wanted to counteract the darkness within Batman. He explains that he never wanted to be a hero, he just wanted to help Batman. The flashbacks continue, showing Dick refusing to become Robin again, instead going to help Batman as Nightwing. Oz asks why an ordinary teenage boy had to be Robin, and Tim responds that his unique perspective, seeing the big picture and the ability to fix things, made him the only choice. And once Tim had the taste of being a masked hero saving Batman and Nightwing from Two-Face, he knew it wasn't something he would give up lightly. Oz brings up the fact that Tim had decided to give up the mask before his abduction, and Tim said that helping Batman form a team which would help keep the darkness at bay gave him options that he hadn't had before. Oz shows Batman obsessively searching for Tim, not sleeping for five days, and asks if Tim will take Batman's place if he falls. Tim insists that he never wanted to be Batman, and when Oz attempts to taunt him that he can never leave the hero life, Tim turns the tables. He reveals that he's been reprogramming the computers, realizing that Oz has a Kryptonian connection. Breaking free of the field, he attacks, insisting that Oz tell him everything, but Oz reveals himself as Jor-El, the father of Superman, and claims to be a prisoner himself. Jor-El pleads with Tim to make the selfish choice and not try to save people so that he will not destroy everything he loves. He being the opportune person, as we don't know who he is since Mr. Oz is only working for somebody else. Jor-El vanishes in a blast of green light, and Tim tries to broadcast a call for help to Gotham. He hears Batman's voice, but this Batman says he's a prisoner as well. Tim opens all of the cells and rushes to find Batman. However, this Batman fires a massive pistol at unseen threats and reveals that it's the gun that murdered Batman's parents, rebuilt to redeem it from evil. 
Batman pulls off his cowl, revealing that it's Tim from the future, not Bruce. Just as Doomsday, who was previously captured in action comics around the same exact time Tim was, was taken in Detective Comics, bursts through the wall. To be continued. Alright, so, Tim Drake is back. There's a couple of very, very important moments in this issue that take place. The first being the complete retcon of the New 52 origin of Tim Drake. That is now completely wiped away and we go back to Tim's original origin from back in Lonely Place of Dying. So the question is, do you, uh, this is kind of a rigged question because I know what both of you are going to respond with, but do you, are you happy with the New 52 origin being erased? No, I really thought it was one of the best points of the New 52. No, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I mean, who isn't? Like, it's... Lonely Place of Dying is a classic story. And besides the fact it's a classic story, it's a good story. It made Tim a unique Robin. I mean, I know that Tim's parents had a lot of bad stuff happen to him in the future, but remember when Tim first joined the fold, he was unique because he still had a family, and I, I do think they made some mistakes changing some of that and taking that away from him over the years. But... Yeah, of course it's great. Lonely Place Design should be part of continuity, just like so many classic stories, like, you know, No Man's Land or something like that. All that stuff should be part of continuity, and it's great that they put it in here, and the art has some great, you know, wink-wink, nod-nod moments to the original story, and I think it's wonderful. I wish Josh were on here, because Josh and I got into that big argument, if you remember, in regards to the New 52 origin. Do you remember way back when, Dustin? I do, and I also remember that it was not a very fun conversation. I'll just say that. Yeah, I mean, I defended that story, actually, and I don't know if I did it just to get Josh's goat. I'd have to re-listen. I don't really remember. But no, I was trying to defend that story. I, I didn't hate it as much as other people did, and as I said, I was trying to defend it. But I think that this, as what we have seen with this complete detective comics run with tim anyways before he was snatched away is about rebuilding that character and we're so close i think the only thing is you know that he wasn't really called well i guess he was kind of called robin no he's got the double r doesn't he when he first puts on the suit do they call him robin well he takes on that suit i don't know that's the that's the only thing yeah, it is a Robin suit, so I guess so. So we really are looking at that. So yeah, it is nice to have that back. It, it was uh, a great story. I remember reading A Lonely Place of Dying and very much enjoying that. And, and I will, because he's not on here, Donovan told me that it was possibly one of the best issues that he's read thus far, one of his favorite issues. So to, to hear that from a diehard Tim fan, I, I think clearly you know that you've struck gold here. Yeah, and I don't know that I could really go into more detail than what you guys said about this being the origin that I've always closely associated with Tim has always been the lonely place of dying. When it came to the New 52, they reworked a lot of different things, but the one thing that I thought was so instrumental to the character of Tim Drake was that he's really, really smart, but the whole reason he did what he did and wanted to become Robin, or not necessarily wanted to become, but he wanted to help Batman because he realized that Batman needed a Robin to be, kind of like pull him out of that darkness. In the New 52, he just is a super smart kid who basically is like, I'm super smart, make me Robin because you don't have one. And that's why I had such a huge problem with it. That And he, he basically forced Batman's hand by doing all these stupid things by trying to hack into Penguin's uh, computers and things like that. And then basically having Hitman come after his own parents 
where his entire family had to go into witness protection because he was stupid and tried to go after Penguin just to force Batman to understand that he needed Tim's help, but he really didn't because the entire New 52, Tim was the farthest removed character from Batman's world as any other character could have possibly been. But that all being said, I'm glad to see that they have decided to go back to the original origin in this issue. What's really cool about it is the fact that, like both of you had said, there's lots of throwbacks to the original story arc. There's lots of pieces of art. They're literally just pulled straight from the original Lonely Place of Dying story arc from way back when. So I will say I, I'm pleasantly surprised by this. The other bit of a reference that comes out is at the end of the story, we see this evil Tim Drake as Batman. We don't know if he's actually evil, but he's using a gun. He is Batman. I'm guessing this is also taking place in the same world as if you have been reading Batwoman. I believe it was Batwoman number six, which was the last issue that James Tynion was on. There was this one issue story that took place where it was set in the future and Batwoman is heading towards Gotham to deal with this Batman, who's not Bruce Wayne. Jason Todd is by her side. It's kind of like her Alfred in a way. He's not suiting up or getting in the costume. He's actually got a cane. And it's set in the future. Bruce Wayne's out of the picture, and they, they reveal in that story that Tim Drake is this evil Batman that they have to stop. And there's... A lot of people, when that issue came out, were complained about the idea of Tim Drake being like this. But it did say at the end of the story, if you want to understand more about what's going on, tune into Detective Comics in whatever issues coming out after this Lonely Place of Living story arc, which is sometime in November. So the question is, this evil version of, or this this futuristic alternate version of Tim Drake as Batman... That's where he is. He's in this alternate universe. He's got to face Doomsday at some point because Doomsday has been released from the cells by himself or by Tim Drake. So the question is, uh, what do we think about this futuristic alternate version of Tim Drake as Batman who's using guns? Well, it's kind of going to depend on where this Tim Drake comes from, right? Like... We've got the Murder Machine thing, which I'm sure some of us read, and the Red Death one from a couple weeks ago. Whoa, that is a strong opinion there. Um, a very strong opinion. Wow. Um, I guess she doesn't like it. That's. I mean, stay tuned for Greater Gotham to find out if we're right. But put your money on she doesn't like it. So I'm gonna guess that this is not Tim Drake from what we from our universe. I this will probably be Tim Drake from one other part of the multiverse. I think that that's what a lot of these things are going to happen in these stories. If this turns out to be our Tim Drake, then, I mean, I don't get the thing with the gun. I mean, you'd think he wouldn't be out shooting people. In fairness, shooting a gun at Doomsday is kind of like taking a bucket of water out of the ocean as far as any chance of actually killing anybody with it. But I think this will probably be, you know, Tim Drake from Earth, negative 74 and... You know, he was hardened through a hard life, and that's why he made these choices. And him and young Tim will have a meeting of the minds where they talk about their their perspectives on violence, and, and one of them will change his ways and go back to the way that Bruce wanted him to be or something along those lines. Well, my Batman brands people. So, you know, to have... Oh, there you go. Yeah, so to have a um, Batman that holds a gun is really not too far off, and I'm fine with it. It's, it's you know, he's had it in the past. This is not the first time he's held a gun, people, and it's not Bruce Wayne. But Bruce Wayne has held a gun and shot one before. So, you know, it, it's fine. I like how Batman... Oh, wow, I just called Dustin Batman. That was a slip of the tongue. A Freudian slip, my friend. Freudian. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Bruce over there 
there or whatever his name is, Dustin, he said, oh dear, he said, uh, he called him evil. And I thought to myself, yikes, what do you mean? Just because he's holding a gun doesn't mean that he's like a doppelganger and like this terrible person. I, I'm intrigued. I knew something was up because he said, you're so young. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, clearly this is a little strange. Also, there were dot, dot, dots um, in the little word bubbles when they're communicating. And usually when that happens, you know, like the other person's kind of like thinking and not sure how to respond. But it was also interesting because he's he was in the cage that the young Tim was originally in. So I feel like there's some sort of like space-time paradox going on. And, oh, maybe this is the Tim that never got out. I don't know. But I'm intrigued. I'm looking forward to it. I think why not give Tim an edge? This is like the opposite of Tim that we have. So, yeah, I like it. Well, here's my take on it. I The reason I said it was evil was because this is actually throwing, I assume it is, because Tynion is so, he relates to prior history in the comics and the continuity so much in his own writing. I mean, it's evident in this issue with uh, all the references to Lonely Place and Dying. But this is actually a, a version of Batman that has existed in the past. During Jeff Johns' run on Teen Titans, there was the Batman of Tomorrow, oh, which yeah. was Tim Drake. And that's what I think they're going for, because in that version also, that version of Tim used the gun that killed Martha and Thomas Wayne in that story as well. So I'm guessing that's what we're calling back to is is that story, because there's too much similarities between this version of Tim Drake as Batman and that version of Tim Drake as Batman where he can't be ignored. So I'm guessing that's that's the direction that they're going. Gotta be it. Yeah. But, there, but the thing is, and that, that version of Batman was evil. I mean, that was straight evil. But the before I even made the connection to the Teen Titans story, which actually the first time it appeared was in Teen Titans Legion special one-shot that happened. But the, the big thing is, the reason I said evil was actually because of that Batwoman story that Tynion was on, referencing the fact that there was this Tim Drake that was Batman who was bad and Batwoman was there in Gotham City to actually stop him. So I just assumed it was the same character until I made the connection with the gun and and that stuff to the Teen Titans story from Jeff Johns. But there's this other aspect of if this is the Batman from that storyline, the Super Sons crossover that's happening in December, the solicitations actually read that a Batman from tomorrow arrives at Earth to stop Superboy, stop him from having some sort of catastrophic effect on the, the world's population. And the question and, and at the time people were like, well, who's this Batman from you know tomorrow? And it could be this Tim Drake, this alternate version of Tim Drake, because they're calling out this, you know, this futuristic version of Tim Drake in this own story. So not that that storyline is supposed to intersect with Detective Comics necessarily, but we know that Mr. Oz was revealed in Action Comics the week before this issue with Tim Drake escaping from Mr. Oz's prison came out. So it's entirely possible that the two could relate to each other. And uh, Tim Drake is the one who's trying to stop Superboy in the future, and it's up to everybody to stop the Batman from tomorrow. Or in some cases, I guess side with the Batman from tomorrow, Tim Drake, and potentially lead him to stop Superboy from doing some sort of horrific event that kills a, a bunch of people. Um, either way... Tell me it's not a punch that reshapes the universe, because we don't... Yeah, well, I don't want... No, it's not that. that again. 
obviously they didn't go into details, but it was basically some sort of horrible event happens. Maybe it's something where Superboy can't control his powers and something bad happens that he was unable to control it. Who knows? American Idol. They've told stories like that a million times. But, I mean, overall, I think this was a great issue, especially for, you know, to kick off a storyline. You know, we, we review a lot of comics, you know, that are Batman-specific, obviously, with All-Star and Detective and Batman here on the podcast, and sometimes the first issues, they're very good, and sometimes they're just kind of so-so, and I think this issue was really good, and I can't, I'm really interested, despite the focus on this Batman from tomorrow and whatever direction they're actually leading into with this, this, this story, I'm interested to see where it goes, because I assume Tim Drake will eventually make it to the correct timeline, if this story is just him intersecting with a separate timeline for the time being, I'm fine with it. I really hope that by the end of this, he actually comes back to the main DC universe and Batman's not continuously searching for him and not sleeping for months upon months because Tim Drake is still not back. But I'm hopeful that they're going in that direction. And if this is the beginning of getting him to that point, I'm fine with it. I think it would have been a little bit strange if he would have ended up right way back in the normal timeline right after the first issue. I don't think that would have worked out as well. But this gives it a little bit of a conflict and a little bit of a reason for him to have to work through more than just sitting in a prison and working, you know, breaking out of the prison to get back to the normal timeline. The last question I want to ask is Mr. Oz references the fact that there's a he out there that is actually controlling him and and says that he himself, Mr. Oz, is a prisoner there too. He might be the warden of the prison, but he's still the prison He's still part, you know, he's still a prisoner in Mr. Oz's prison, essentially. So the question is, who do you think he is? We've talked about, you know, who Mr. Oz could be. I don't think anybody thought it was Jarrell at all, no. ever. But the thing is, he's still reporting to somebody and he's claiming that he's a prisoner himself. So the question is, do we think that he is Dr. Manhattan or do we think that it's somebody else? I mean, we know that this is closely tying to Doomsday Clock in some way. We just don't know how or why. But the reveal that it's Jarrell and he's a prisoner there too leads us to believe that there is definitely something much bigger going on than we've all thought, being that he's a prisoner as well. Well, I will say the obvious answer to this is Doctor Manhattan. Yes, right? yeah, obviously. I mean that. I mean that's the obvious answer. But, but I mean, there's a couple things going against it here. I think it probably is Doctor Manhattan. But if since that is the overwhelming obvious assertion, I'm going to make a case against it. Case number one. John's and them like messing with this. I mean, you had a character called Dr. Oz that we all figured was Ozzy from The Watchmen. Could that have been more obvious? You know what I'm saying? Like, John's likes to do this. The other thing is, if with Dr. Manhattan's power set, does he really need to build a prison to keep people prisoners? Like, it's not really a thing he needs to do. You just snap his fingers and have him on Mars in an air bubble or something. You know what I'm saying? Like... So this seems like it may be a little low-tech for Dr. Manhattan. So then you go, well, who is it? I don't know. With John's predilection to play with certain characters, maybe someone from the New Gods set, High Fathers, people, maybe Dark Side, someone, something to do with Apocalypse. Like, it's got to be someone with a major power set, somebody that could pull Jor-El out of time. I think Dark Side and his minions could probably do that. I think it is Dr. Manhattan, but if I had to make an argument against it, it does seem a low-tech setup for... Uh, for him. That's all. I continue to believe that it's him. Remember that Ra's al Ghul? It's someone that he bows to. And I, my argument from episodes ago was that clearly, even though I guess we were talking about Jor-El there, but I still think there's a higher up. 
that you know someone that Roz bows to has got to be pretty like the end all and be all. So I, I do think so. And we're getting into that Watchmen like little series thing too, aren't we? So it's got to be a connection somehow. Yeah, I mean, time will tell. Obviously, in two more weeks when we review the next issue, we'll probably know a little bit more. Not necessarily about who the he is. I think that was a subtle clue as to something that will come up in the future, but not something that's going to be focused on immediately in the present. All right, so with that, I'm going to give Detective Comics a total of four and a half out of five. Four and a half out of five, and almost a five out of five. Almost bloody perfect. Yikes. I'll just give it a five out of five. Oh, boom. I talk a lot, she backs it up with action. Yeah. Right. All right, and over on the website, Ian gave it four, so that's going to give Detective Comics a total of four and a half out of five batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. First up on September 20th, we have Main TBU Books. We already talked about Batman number 31. Nightwing number 29. Nightwing, Robin, Green Arrow, Harley Quinn, and Killer Croc continue the way to Challenger Mountain to confront a superpowered Mr. Freeze. This review by Paul. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'll give that a neutral. Oh, wait. I have something to say about that. Or did it already happen? Did he sleep with Helena in that issue? That happened last episode. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a neutral. You can still say something about it, and though. And you did say something about it then. No, she did say something about it at the time. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure I'll bring it up every time. Because it's out of continuity. Okay. Batwoman number seven. Batwoman continues her search for the many arms of death, only to come face-to-face with Scarecrow. This is by Jim. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Eh, thumbs up. I mean, I kind of like this book right now. Thumbs up. Harley Quinn number 28, Harley has decided to run for mayor of New York and she quits some of her side projects to focus on her mayoral bid. In the process, she and Poison Ivy bust a stolen car ring in an effort to boost her profile. This is read by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Abstain. Secondary TBU books, Batman the Red Death number one, the origin of Red Death is revealed as he wreaks havoc in the main universe. This is read by Corbin. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'm going to give this one a neutral, and then I want to ask a question after Stella gives us rating. What what issue was it? Red Death. Red, oh, heavens. You know, I skimmed it. I'm not really interested in any of this, so I'll just abstain. I'm not surprised. Did you see some of the articles being wrote that are saying <laughs> that this is supposed to be the all-star Batman and Robin, the boy wonder from Frank Miller? That's what this is supposed to be? I did read some people making the connection. I don't... Did you make that connection? Because I didn't. No. No, I didn't make the connection. I saw some people say it, and I was like, meh, I guess. It's possible. I don't think it is, I did the but same sure. thing. Like, I heard all these people said it, and I went back and read it, and I'm like, I still don't think that's the same universe. Well, I think the reason they were saying that was because the Batman that was presented before he becomes Red Death, that Batman was a very gritty Batman to begin with. And some of the choices that he makes to basically make himself into the Red Death version of Batman 
are questionable and could be on par with some of the Frank Miller All-Star Batman decisions that he had made in some of those issues. I mean, I can see the connection, but I don't think it's there. I, I don't think that I don't, that, I don't think that uh, Joshua Williamson, when he was writing the issue, was like, yes, this is exactly the Batman I want to use. I don't think that at all, so... If anything, I thought it was Dark Knight Returns because remember it showed like some of the mutant guys with the glasses and all that. Yes, very, yeah. very stylized Dark Knight Returns. So I was just curious what you saw about that because that's I didn't. I found a lot of people saying that and not really agreeing. All right, main DC Universe books: Super Sons number eight, Robin and Superboy are taken to a different dimension, landing on a planet that has been slowly eaten by Yargadis, a cosmic parasite. This is by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. I'm gonna give this one a neutral. Abstain. Thumbs up. Justice League number 29, Aquaman from the future begins his attack on the Justice League as the kids from the future attack Wonder Woman as the infection from Midway City takes her over. This is by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Abstain. Abstain. Trinity number 13, the Trinity continue their fight against the possessed Dark Trinity while Constantine goes looking for Zatanna, Deadman, and the Pandora Pits with mixed results. This is by Adil. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Secondary DC Universe books, Green Arrow number 31, Black Canary, Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Robin, Damian Wayne all make an appearance in the issue. Injustice 2 number 10, which includes digital chapters number 19 through 20, the Injustice versions of Black Canary, Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, Batman, Bruce Wayne, Ra's al Ghul, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, Orca, and Batman, Jason Todd all appear in the issue. Moving over into September 27th, we have main TBU books. We already talked about Detective Comics number 965. Batgirl number 15, Batgirl and Nightwing continue to investigate at the hospital in the present day, while flashbacks reveal a little more information about Barbara's friend Ainsley. This is by Adil. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral? This was actually much better than the previous issue, so I'll give it a thumbs up. Batman Beyond number 12, while Terry and Bruce are abroad dealing with the League of Assassins, Max and Matt discover the appearance of Batgirl and Gotham despite their differences. The group must work together to rescue Commissioner Barbara Gordon. This is by Bill. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Thumbs up. Mother Panic number 11, Violet and Jane re-enter each other's lives and reminisce about their past lives at the Gather House. This opens Violet up to an attack from an enemy from her past. Super by Jerry, he gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Batman the Murder Machine number one. While in mourning, Bruce makes a decision that not only changes his life, but also the life of the people around him, Alfred might be of help. This was reviewed by Jessica. She gave it five out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, too. Abstain. Batman the Shadow, number six. Batman must choose whether or not to become the next Shadow as they fight the Joker, the Stag, and his army for the fate of Shambhala. This was reviewed by Paul. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Good, good, good. Abstain. Nightwing, the New Order, number two. Dick Grayson's past collides with his present as his son manifests superpowers. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I don't know why, but I was really looking forward to this, and it's just not doing it for me. Oh. Uh, neutral. Main DC Universe books, Justice League of America number 15. The time that Ray Palmer disappeared into the microverse is revealed as what he has been up to is told. This was reviewed by Matthew. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Suicide Squad number 26, the Gotham Resistance team, faces a super-powered Poison Ivy as they continue their way to Challenger Mountain in search for Batman. This is reviewed by Paul. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. 
Secondary DC Universe books, Blue Beetle number 13, Tina Sung, the former Robin from Justice League 3001, makes an appearance. Bombshells United number 2, which includes digital chapters number 3 through 4. The bombshell version of Clayface appears in the issue. Justice League Power Rangers number 6, Batman appears in the issue alongside the Justice League. And then finally, the TBU trades and hardcovers have released over the past two weeks. There's a bunch of them. Catwoman by Jim Bollant, book 1, trade paperback. Harley Quinn, A Celebration of 25 Years, hardcover. Nightwing, Volume 3, Nightwing Must Die, trade paperback. Batman, The Court of Owls, adult coloring book, which I had mentioned previously that had released. It turns out it was actually delayed a couple weeks, but it is out now. And then in Celebration of Batman Day, there was Batman Day 2017, Special Edition Number 1, DC Superhero Girls, Batman Day 2017, Special Edition Number 1, Harley Quinn, Batman Day 2017, Special Edition Number 1. And then there was also Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel trade paperback, Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77 hardcover, Absolute Justice League Origin hardcover, Titans Volume 2, Made in Manhattan, Trade Paperback, DC Superhero Girls Volume 4, Past Times at Superhero High, Trade Paperback, and Injustice Ground Zero Volume 2 Hardcover. So that is everything that is released in the past two weeks. Be sure to check out all of those reviews of all the books that we gave an up-down or neutral rating to. We have reviews of all of those books over on the website. As we continue to cover everything related to Dark Knight's Metal, we'll be covering... In the coming weeks, Green Arrow, as well as all of the other various one-shots that are dealing with the Dark Multiverse Batman, um, come the end of October, early November, there's another crossover that's taking place with a lot of the Just League books, including Flash and Green Lantern. We'll be covering that as well over on the site. So if you are checking out the reviews on the site to get detailed synopses of everything that's going on in some of these titles that you may not be purchasing, be at least a little kind and leave a comment on whether or not you enjoyed the review. For those guys and gals who are reviewing the books on the site, they love seeing comments from you guys, so if you can leave comments, those are always greatly appreciated. Before we get into some listener Q&As, there's a couple of new editorials to check out over on the site. DC All Access posted up a Doomsday Clock Moments, basically the top 10 list of moments that have happened since the beginning of Rebirth that give certain clues and things that are of importance to know before you check out Doomsday Clock come in November. So you can check that out over on the website. In memory of the passing of Len Wein, we actually did a review of The Untold Legend of Batman, a miniseries that was released in the 1970s that was written by Len Wein, so you can check that out over on the site. We also have three new Spotlight articles. One, as I mentioned earlier, the eight other times that Batman's been engaged in the comics. The first part of a multi-part relationship retrospective dealing with the relationship of Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon since they're appearing in the pages of Batgirl together. We're doing a multi-part look at their relationship through comics, so be sure to check that out. And then we also have the very first part of our character spotlight for Tim Drake, since obviously Tim Drake has returned to comics as well. So be sure to check out all that stuff. We're trying to get fresh content every single week on the website. If we don't have an article, we're trying to at least get something else that's unique. I know in the coming weeks we have some commentaries that are going to be releasing on some of the weeks we don't have articles planned out, but we're trying to get some unique content out there, so if you happen to be interested in writing some original content, such as these character spotlights or other unique articles, be sure to email me at tbu at net. So with that, we're going to jump into our listener Q&As. message 
revenge at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! The very first one we have is from Ian. Great discussion on the tech arc. Hadn't thought of shrinking Clayface's part. Two one-shot seems like it might have been better for pacing. Or maybe a main story and a backup instead of trying to crunch the two together. Impressed with Saul for thumbs-upping the temporary derailment of her OTP. I am also a long-term Babs and Dick shipper, but I enjoy the connection that Dick and Helena make. Though I'm really confused about how it's supposed to fit with what's happening in Batgirl right now. I know! Me too! Totally on board with Stella, very irritated about Zinda being replaced. So unnecessary. It's not like the Blackhawks have really been playing an important role. I will not touch that last part with a 10-foot pole, because I don't want to start something here. Fight! fight, Don't start something, they won't be nothing. Yeah. Um, So, let's talk about the Helena dick thing and the Babs and dick thing, just because Hmm. I know that's something that won't be as controversial for Stella. Are you serious? But I will say this. There has been some interesting stories that have been told with Helena having a relationship with Dick Grayson. It does come as a very strange timing for both of those different pairings to be happening in the books almost simultaneously. I mean, not exactly simultaneously, but almost simultaneously, where in the pages of Nightwing, we've got Helena and Dick together, and then over in the pages of Batgirl, we have Dick and Barbara seemingly, not not necessarily together, but at least exploring their past and how they were together in the past. The the thing that I have a problem with more than anything is it, it just comes across as there's a disconnect between some of these books. And this has more to do with, I guess, editorial inputs on some of these titles. You know, the thing is, when I look at a lot of the titles, it feels like a lot of the books are in the same world. But there are certain books that feel like they're in a different timeline. And I'm not I'm not going to say that, like, I shouldn't say timeline. It just feels like they're, they're focusing on different aspects, which is completely fine. When you decide to have characters cross over into another story series for a story arc, that is, I would say the one thing that you would need to make sure that you're very, very keen on is what's going on with that character currently. The fact that in the pages of Nightwing, we have him sleeping with Helena, and then literally... A couple weeks later, in the pages of Batgirl, he's linking up with Batgirl, and they have this like very awkward... Ladies' man. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, he's the ladies' man, and, he, you know, a lot of people... You know, there's, this is not comic-related at all, but there was just this statue that was announced by... This new statue line announced by Kota Bakia. <gasps> yes! Whoa. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. it's literally... It's a new statue line that is called... They're naming it the Aikimen... I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it translates in Japanese to handsome men. Pretty boys line. So it's a handsome men statue line. Gotta be Nightwing. And literally the first figure, or the first statue they're releasing is, of course, Nightwing. And they've got two different poses where he has no mask and he has a mask. He's showing off his bum. Pretty crazy. You can check out, yeah, you can check it out over on the website. We've got pictures of the, of the, the statue. But that all being said, I have, like, a problem just with the disconnect of, like, I, like, I know that at one point, Mark Doyle was the editor for the Bat books, but he wasn't even doing all of the Bat books. Just recently, it was announced that, it was back in, I want to say, May, Mark Doyle was stepping back, and one of the assistant editors was stepping forward to cover some of the Bat books. Recently, it was also announced that Chris Conroy, who had been doing Detective Comics 
Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, Batwoman, and a couple of other titles. He's getting shifted around and doing some other Bat books, but not all of them. And I just really, really want there to be a very cohesive editorial team where even if the, there's different editors on each book, which is entirely okay, there still should be some sort of communication with the other editors to say, hey, we've got Dick sleeping with one chick this week. Maybe we shouldn't have him sleep, uh, kissing a, a different chick the next week. Yeah, but this is kind of like the general, like, we, we talk about the DC house art style. Isn't this almost like the Batman universe comic cast house argument? Like we both we we both hate this, right? Like oh yes, yeah. When we talked about Selena earlier, it was like the first thing I brought up was like, please, if you're gonna do it, do it everywhere. Um, some level of basic continuity. I, I'm not the type of guy that goes through there and goes, well, he had boots on with a buckle on this issue, and here it's got laces. It's unacceptable. Like I don't, I don't care. <laughs> Let's hope not. That'd be like crazy old man yelling. Yeah, crazy old man, get off my lawn. Um, but. Like, some basic character traits, like who you're sleeping with, who you're dating, are you married, are pretty important. And I think that keeping this, you know, constant should be at the top of the list. Um, But it's okay. I mean, I don't know how long these stories with Dick are going to last, to be honest with you. I think it's probably only a matter of time before, you know, Starfire shows up and we get this thing, like, really? Excuse me? (laughs) Now we need to have words, sir. <laughs> Don't laugh about it. That is no laughing matter. I have seniority over you, and I have Dustin wrapped around my little pinky, so I can get you kicked off whenever I want. I think want. he likes Starfire too. Though. No, that that's a definite no. No, <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, that's this bold is, face lie. This is the one I'm on an island on with like my little Starfire flag <laughs> all by myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't like it, obviously. You know, continuity, I think some things can shift around and you, you know, if Batman's in Tokyo, one issue, and he's over in Gotham in another, you're like, well, I guess that's okay, because, you know, it just happens. But this is something that we discussed with Zatanna and Catwoman, and that was just flirtation. I think that this yes. is far worse, just because, you know, obviously... Dick and Babs are on a case together and they're revisiting their past and that's, you know, intimate there. And then they're having these awkward shipper moments in the present. And over in Nightwing, it's pretty terrible. I don't really know what's going, what his mindset is because he just got off of this really intense relationship with Sean, almost being a father. And then he decides to, you know, fall in bed with Helena. And yes, I totally, I see where Ian's coming from because I think that relationship was really intriguing between Dick and Helena in the pages of Grayson. Though they never slept together, he was with like Agent Two, or maybe it was like 20. I can't remember. She was blonde. But, you know, you saw that there was something more between them. So it makes sense that it happened, but it doesn't make sense that it's happening now, either with Sean or with Babs. So, yeah, I these are things where you need to talk with someone. And unfortunately, I feel like the fault may lie with one person in particular, but I would rather not say. You mean... Buys with Dick. But I think we know which person I'm talking about. But I have no problem saying it. Oh, Larson. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, oh. uh, it just seems like there's not a lot of there's not conversations going on, mm. especially when there are Batgirl related things. I'll, I'll just say this aspect because I know Stella's trying to be very polite and diplomatic when she's saying the comments that she's saying. I recently read an interview that I forwarded over to Stella with Hope Larson where sure she did. she was asked a very specific question about how the events of what's happening with her is tying into Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. She was then asked, like, it was like a two-part question, like, so how does your stuff connect over to what's happening in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey? How do you, you know, how do, how do you feel that she's, you know, pulling more of the Oracle role in that title compared to what's happening in your book? And she basically ignored the first part of the question when she said she wasn't paying attention or she wasn't concerned with what's going on in the pages of Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. And instead, she was more concerned with having Barbara do awesome fight scenes and things like that. And that just that brief answer right there clearly said something to me which is she doesn't care what's going on in that book because really she, that doesn't, she doesn't pay attention to what's going on in the other books at all. And that could be why we have this entire, you know, this awkward relationship between Babs and, and Nightwing happening right now where, you know, she does she even know that Nightwing was potentially – you know, a fa- you know, a father to be in the pages of Nightwing recently, and that he had a pretty long term relationship the with, with Sean in the pages of Nightwing. Does she even know that, or is she just deciding now's the time when she wants to have Nightwing and and Batgirl link up together? Because honestly, when you read the stuff that in in Batgirl, it doesn't come across as when she decides to bring some of the stuff in that does try to mesh with continuity and and try to you know link in backroll without making backroll this like you know red red headed stepchild of the family because she's not involved very aptly done yes i yes i know but she's basically out there as this character who has nothing to do with the bat family except for when it when it's necessary for the character and i'm wondering if the reason why nightwing is appearing in the issue is because maybe editorial said hey your book has continuously been dropping about 1500 copies per issue for the last uh 12 months so you should probably maybe do something where you try to link it more in with what's going on in some of the other books she's decided to bring in nightwing because we all know that sometimes bringing other characters in other popular characters that is bringing those characters into the book can sometimes help sales Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't make a difference whatsoever. We see that with Batman being brought into books all the time, where it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to jumpstart the sales. But the books has been doing bad. I actually went into this rabbit hole of trying to figure out sales numbers compared over the last 12 months between Batgirl and Birds of Prey. And Batgirl and Birds of Prey, I should just, I'm just going to refer to it as the Birds of Prey book. Birds of Prey and then over in Batgirl, the books have been losing sales month over month. But the one thing that's interesting is that Batgirl has actually been, she's, that book started out at a higher sales number and has actually decreased more significantly than Batgirl and Birds of Prey. Currently, Batgirl and Birds of Prey is sitting a little bit lower in sales numbers compared to Batgirl, but not by much. And they aren't dropping nearly as fast as Batgirl. So I'm wondering if we could potentially be seeing a creator shakeup in at least one of those two books. I, I And if I had a choice, I think everybody would know which book I would want the creator shakeup to happen in. Well, to be quite frank, I think it's time for some creator shakeups. I mean, 
since Rebirth, we haven't had a ton. We haven't. I mean, the first the first real major one that's happened in the main TBU books that we cover would be the one that just was announced with Tim Seeley leaving the book and having a new creator come on board for Nightwing. So that's honestly the first major one that we've seen, other than you know just the random fill-in stories here and there that we've gotten for... That's kind of just... That just happens, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's time. But I agree. Yeah, I mean, it is. it is. I mean, the thing is, like... I'm all for giving the writers a chance to give to tell their story, but the thing is, if it's not connecting, and and I will argue, I do enjoy what's happening in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey more so than what's happening in Batgirl. In the Birds of Prey title, I feel like there's at least a desire to honor the history of the characters, and now I feel like there's even a more emphasis on it than maybe there was in the very beginning. Um, they've kind of reworked a lot of things that I, I felt were against the book in the beginning, but I think a lot of the, that stuff has been worked out. In Batgirl, it just feels like we started off with, we wanted her as far removed from the Batman universe as possible. It was like editorial said, we want you to make her Tim Drake at the beginning of the New 52. That's what I feel like the you know happened because she was for six months she was in Asia had nothing to do with anything related to it and now even though she's back in Gotham we barely ever see her interact with her father we barely ever see her interact with a normal supporting you know supporting character group sure there's some characters that you know appear here and there but like she doesn't it doesn't feel like they're actually building a universe compared to the pages of Nightwing, for example, which has literally had Nightwing go to Bloodhaven and created an entire universe of supporting characters that come up on a normal basis when we, you know, in the, in the pages of that book. And some people might argue, well, that's because Nightwing comes out twice a month and Batgirl only comes out once. Oh. Um, to that argument, I say, well, that means you should have more of a desire to make the stories more interesting if you're only doing one issue a month. Batgirl gets too... With Batgirl and Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, if those two creative teams were working even marginally together. I don't mean they've got to be part one and part two in each book. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But if they were even marginally working on the same page with a epi- issue of Batgirl and the Birds of Prey and Batgirl coming out each month, they could have built her an extremely solid universe since Rebirth, period. And they didn't because the Birds of Prey team is seems to be doing a pretty good job and the other team seems to be interested in telling its own story so give them a non-continuity book if that's what they want to do or if anything just have the two different creative teams like exchange notes be friendly with each other i mean to a certain degree yeah like say hey so this is what i'm doing i mean like there's plenty of creators in the books right now that have talked about the fact that they're friends and they they don't have to be close personal friends, but they have to be at least be on a talking basis. And honestly, I don't know that that's actually happening with those two titles. I don't know that the two creative teams, and I'm not going to poke the blame and say it's one person's fault or the other group's fault by any means, but I feel like because those two books have Batgirl as the main character or one of the main characters, then you need to have yeah. the books at least be cohesive with continuity. You can't just have the story... like. There's also a humongous, glaring problem, which is you have Batgirl not part of the Birds of Prey in one book, and you have the other book where she's always part of the team, and there's never a... It's always like one or the other, and neither one of them necessarily references the other stuff. That's the biggest problem, and it's probably because there's two different editors on the book, and I probably by the time we do the next episode, I will have researched that to figure out if that's true, but I'm pretty sure that's the case, and that's why this is so disconnected but really those two books especially since they come out within like a week of each other normally or i think they come out every two weeks maybe so like 
even if they weren't coming out, like, here's the thing. We are a year and a couple months into both of those titles, and there hasn't been a crossover between those two titles. Doesn't that seem strange? Yeah, even something I mean, small. we even ha- we've had yeah. crossovers with Batman and Detective Comics, and those stories are completely different. But we've had crossovers. We had a crossover within months of them being existing. So I mean, like here we are. All this time has passed, and we haven't had a crossover between those two titles. Because why? Because it's a different editor, and the creative teams don't have anything to do with each other. I mean, that's a problem. I agree. And, no, I mean everything you're saying. I, I think. Yeah, I've thought about it. I, I don't think I can really add anything to it. It's just very disappointing. I imagine the sales numbers dropping. I'm not too surprised about that because I think the uh, Burnside crew had pretty diehard followers, and I think they started to taper off once they saw that it was not the same thing. And, you know, I feel bad for Hope Larson because. She's coming in after a fan, fa- you know, fan favorites, and and I think that's that's hard. That's hard for any successor, and I, you know, I guess she was trying to make it her own, but I, I feel like she's been struggling to find Barbara Gordon's voice. And there are some amazing times. That I think yes, you've got it. Those one shots that I've read, I thought yes, this is it. But then we, I don't know. There are just weird things that are going on. But I wish, I wish there were was collaboration, especially when it's Batgirl. And Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Clearly, that's something that needs to happen. And so, you know, over in Birds of Prey, she's dealing with this. I guess she hasn't dealt with it too much. But in the the previous issue that we talked about last episode, she is now Oracle and Batgirl and, of course, Babs. And I'm I'm sure there's going to be a tension between that and trying to balance that. But then over in Batgirl, you're not dealing with that at all when you could have this, this wonderful opportunity to do that. And you're absolutely right about the family dynamics. We're not seeing Jim Gordon and Barbara Gordon. And, um, yeah, so, oh, I don't know. It's sad. I really just wish there was more of a focus on Jim Gordon because it seems like that's just a giant missed opportunity. I mean, like one of the biggest stories that could come out of Rebirth is that, you know, the I mean, and I've gone about this before, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. But I've talked about the fact that it would be great and a great story to have Jim actually find out about Batgirl being or, you know, Barbara being Batgirl. At least to a degree, or have at least the interaction between Batgirl and Jim Gordon working side by side, even if it's unknowing. But like the reveal, that could be a massive story that would make sense to happen in a crossover between two different titles or possibly more. But it just doesn't feel like there's an emphasis on making sure that those two titles are cohesive and I, I that's my biggest problem so i'll leave it at that that is actually the only listener q a that we have this episode so with that we're going to wrap everything up as always you can head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies tv merchandise video games and of course the comics also be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer as i mentioned there's new episodes of the commentaries that have released and will be releasing in the coming weeks so be sure to check out those there's new episodes of robin everyone loves the drake that have released in the past two weeks, as well as the Bat fans. Um, so be sure to check out all of those. Also, Gotham is back, which means the Gotham Chronicle is back. So be sure to check out the Gotham Chronicle return with Josh and Don. The brave yes. men that are keep that are keep doing that. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, 
Oh, oh man. Uh-oh. I'll just leave it as uh, I, I watched the first two episodes and keep thinking to myself, what what is the point? Of what this? are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so outside of that, as always, if you are interested in supporting TBU, you can head over to the website, click on the PayPal button to leave a one-time donation, or if you are so inclined, you can head over to Patreon and uh, pledge your support to TBU. A $1 donation gets you entered into a monthly raffle where we raffle off Batman-type prizes. As we get into the holidays, we're making a bigger push for support on Patreon, and we're going to have some pretty cool prize packages that we're going to be doing maybe as a separate uh, drive or something like that. But I've got some items that have come in in preparation for the holidays of new items that are coming out. So more details on that as we get closer to the holidays. But in the meantime, if you'd like to support us on Patreon at the $1 level, there's levels all the way going up to to uh, $25 or $50. $25 gets you a raw, uncut version of the podcast, this podcast that is, and uh, you get that days in advance, uh, in some cases five days earlier than the episode actually releases. So if you're interested in that, Head over to Patreon and pledge your support. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And be sure to leave your comments on the podcast post over on the website so that we can talk about your comments on the next episode. As you know, this Wednesday, which as you're listening to this, it was this past Wednesday, was the uh, reveal of what Catwoman's answer is. And then in an additional week and a half or a half a week as you're listening to this, there will be another issue of Detective Comics dealing with more Tim Drake. And we also have the finale of All-Star Batman coming up, uh, so the final issue of All-Star Batman. <laughs> so in two weeks, when we are back, we'll have Selena's answer, more Tim Drake, and the end of All-Star Batman. It's going to be a busy, busy episode that time. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you have been listening to the Batman vs. Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.